I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 23 as we continue our series on apologetics, the big questions that we get from people. And one of those questions is, uh, isn't the church just full of hypocrites? I don't know if you've ever got that question. I know that I have. Um, so today, we're going to look at that, at that question. You know, my, uh, I went to seminary in Boston, and it's hard to be in Boston and not uh, learn about the Boston Marathon. Uh, 1980, we were there and uh, went to the beginning of it. It was kind of a, an exciting thing to be there for the beginning of the, of the marathon. Uh, all these people have sweats on. They just peel them off and leave them there for whoever wants them. Um, but <clears throat> that year, there was a, a, a woman who crossed the finish line you probably, most of you won't recognize her name. Her name was Rosie Ruiz. And she, um, she was declared the winner, decorated, put a laurel wreath on her head. And then eight days away, they took it away from her because she didn't run the marathon. She started about, uh, with a half mile to go, she pulled out and crossed the finish line as if she won, and she never, ever admitted that she didn't win. Um, but it was interesting. There's a man named Eugene Peterson who reflected on this event, and he compares it to the Christian life. And he says this, we can all think of people we know who want to get in on the finish but who cleverly arrange not to run the race. They appear in church on Sunday and enter into the celebration with no personal life that leads up to it or out from it. They're plausible and convincing, but they have not believed through the tough times or worked through doubt or spent daily time reading their Bibles and praying even when they don't want to and having their own personal walk with God. So the word hypocrite, you've got this on your outline, comes from the same Greek word that means an actor or one who assumes a role. The word hypocrite is used 17 times in the New Testament, and every time it's used, it's used by Jesus. In fact, one commentator said, there is no other word that is so singularly his. Uh, the author Dallas Willard says, it's clear from the literary records that it was Jesus alone who brought this term hypocrisy and the corresponding character into the moral record of the Western world. It is ironic, he writes, that even when, in fact, precisely when we criticize the church for producing hypocrites, that we pay tribute to this man, Jesus, whose teaching gave us the picture of hypocrisy that shapes our moral understanding 2,000 years later. What Jesus thought about hypocrisy is clear. And the verses that we're looking at today in Matthew 23, we have Jesus' analysis of hypocrisy. 
So before we read the text, I just want to say that not every Jewish leader was evil. Uh, There are some great exceptions, like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, or Joseph of Arimathea in Mark chapter 15. But Jesus had some very scathing remarks for religious leaders in general. So let's begin reading at verse 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you. Five more times, Jesus calls them hypocrites. And then he ends with this in verse 33. Look at verse 33. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? On those positive verses, um, you know what? We expect Jesus to be bold. But can you imagine the tension that was going on between him and these religious leaders. Jesus said it like it was. He pulled no punches when it came to the truth. And the place to begin is this. In a sense, uh, we're all hypocrites. In fact, you've got this on your outline, because what is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is knowing the right thing to do and not doing it. And if we're in the word and we're regularly studying the word, generally, we know the right thing to do, but we don't always do it. But according to Jesus, hypocrisy is not just the failure to live up uh, to what we aim to be. It's getting people to think we're someone we really aren't. It's like what Jesus says in verse 25. Look at verse 25. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside... They are full of greed and self-indulgence. They clean the outside to make everybody think the inside looks great when it doesn't. So verse 23, woe to you. In other words, trouble is coming. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tithe of your spices, but you neglect the weightier matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. On top of that, the the, the Pharisees were tithing their spices. This is a tiny little part of their lives. Think of it, a tiny little part of their financial lives, if you will, to convince other people, maybe even to convince themselves how just and merciful and faithful they, they are, they were. But Jesus makes it clear that they were forgetting those things. There are more important things like the basics of, of what Christianity is all about, what what Jesus teaches of of fairness and compassion and faithfulness. This is the way one author described hypocrisy. He wrote this, "I, I manage this or that to deceive you in this or that area to get you to think that it's better than it really is in my life. I I hide my secret dislike, maybe for you, behind a polite smile. 
I pretend to help you when I'm hoping you fail. In other words, I portray myself as loving when inside I'm full of judgment or selfishness. I like to give the impression that I'm bravely committed to God when inside I'm full of fear. I may even convince myself I'm devout or loving or kind. What's scary is that I can be hypocritical without even knowing it. I hope that this community here at Claremont Emanuel is a safe place for us to say, for each of us to say, hey, I am trying to follow Jesus. I am not perfect. I'm far from perfect. And I I bring a whole bunch of sin with me. I've got a bag full of sin. And I'm trying to deal with it. And so I need your encouragement. I need to be able to confess my sin to you and, and, and you to remind me of God's forgiveness for me. Sometimes I I think because we want to be as deep as we can spiritually in our relationship with the Lord, that we're tempted to make other people think that we're at that deep place when we really aren't. Or we're at a deeper place than we really are. So here are some points to consider as we answer this question to people that might ask us, why is the church so full of hypocrites? The first thing is that we must be sure we're talking about true Christians. That's number one on your outline. Uh, The person that you recognize as a hypocrite or you think is a hypocrite may not even be a believer in in what the, the way the Bible describes a believer. And so it would be Uh, It would not be fair to to criticize Christianity on the basis of of the poor ethics of a non-Christian. You know, God brings people to the church uh, who aren't Christians, but who are trying to figure out what the Christian life is all about. They want to know the truth. And so we need to be careful and and pray for the people that, that we see, that we wonder where they are. Have a conversation with them. Maybe you'll find out something way different than you thought. Think about this. Most anything of real value has counterfeit. Uh, Whether we're talking about money or whether we're talking about jewelry or furs or whatever it might be, just because there's counterfeit money doesn't mean we say, okay, I'm never going to use money again. That's not the way we think. And not the way we should think. And just because, and this is on your outline, just because people don't live up to a message like the Christian message, like the message of the Bible, doesn't mean the message itself is wrong. Um, a while back, I read about a, a meeting in, in uh, Atlanta of about 30,000 researchers and medical doctors who were heart surgeons and, and studying heart disease. And they were talking about the importance of living a low-fat diet to have a healthy heart. And uh, somebody observed that there was, during that, during that convention, there was more uh, bacon cheeseburgers and, and, and cheese fries sold than at any other convention. And somebody walked up to one of the doctors and said, aren't you concerned that you're setting a bad example for the people that you're trying to convince? And the guy said, well, not me. I took my name tag off. <laughs> Let me tell you something. In the Christian life, we don't get to take our name tags off. Ever. 
we're always, we want to be always living our lives before the Lord. The way that this works is that the presence of hypocrites within a movement doesn't show that the movement itself is in error. And so as you seek and ask questions, we don't need to get caught up in, in what I need to do. Because once you surrender your life to Christ, he'll begin changing you from the inside out. You don't have to manufacture Christian behavior on your own. That's why God gives us the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, it gives us a desire to follow him, to, uh, the power to live the Christian life. It doesn't come on our own. It comes by the Holy Spirit living in us. And that leads to number two on your outline. The Bible does not claim that it makes even true believers in Jesus Christ perfect in this life. It, it, it's, its claim is that those who receive Jesus Christ are perfectly forgiven. That's the truth. We do need to say that some people in the church are, like we said before, are not genuine Christians. But that leads to another question. Why does it appear that so many true Christians are hypocrites? A, a Christian, again, from the Bible, is one in whom Christ lives through his Holy Spirit. And so it's helpful in this discussion to understand that there's a difference between being a sinner and being a hypocrite. There's a, an unspoken and wrong assumption that a Christian is someone who never sins. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, the Bible says it's just the opposite. In 1 John, John puts it very clearly, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So a hypocrite may be free from faults, uh, may claim to be free from faults, but a Christian is one who admits the fact that they're, they're a sinner before God. They need forgiveness. Even the Apostle Paul did not consider himself to be spiritually invincible. He wrote a whole chapter in Romans 7 about how he does what he doesn't want to do. And Paul writes this in one of his final letters. It's a letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. You've got the, the, the reference in the verse on your outline. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That's the Apostle Paul speaking of himself. Uh, Paul doesn't say, I was a sinner. He says, I am a sinner. Because I'm in process, I don't need to cover up. I'm freed from hypocrisy. I can take my mask off, not the COVID mask, but I can take my mask off spiritually, the one I wear to cover up who I really am, and, and I can be honest with the people that I'm around. And that leads to number three. If someone claims to have received Jesus Christ, it's only fair to compare their actions with what they used to be, not what they would be if they were perfect instantly. The Bible says that people who receive Christ have the Spirit of God working within them. Romans 8, 9 says, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to him. And so we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, and the inconsistencies, and this is on your outline, in the life of a true believer 
should be continually decreasing. We should be growing in our relationship with God. We should see the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. We should see all of those on the increase in our lives. And we're doing that with the help of the Holy Spirit. We don't become instantly mature on our own. You know, we've probably all met people like a, a, a friend of mine, a guy that I know who became a Christian and was a businessman. And, and boy, he had some rough edges in his life. But he was the first to admit that he had rough edges in his life. But he had a true desire to share Christ with his friends and family and coworkers. Um, but again, he was the first to admit that he wasn't perfect and far from it, but he had this insatiable desire to learn and to grow spiritually, and, and he did and continued to mature. We all know people like that, uh, but we don't say to them, we don't call them a hypocrite. That would be a judgmental and wrong thing to do but, because he was the real deal. We know people like that. Fortunately for all of us, God is patient. And he's loving towards us. And God is doubtless, doubtlessly pleased with the progress of, of young believers as we move forward, of all of us, as we make steps to move closer to him in our lives. Um, however, anytime a Christian stops growing, uh, drags their feet, is, is knowingly disobedient to what God commands, the Father will lovingly get their attention. I'm guessing most of us have a time when we feel like God was getting our, needed to get our attention, where we were ignoring him in some area of our life. That's, that's the, the, I think that what happens to all of us as believers in our lives. At one time or another, we all, God is trying to get our attention in an, in an area to turn it over to him. But I'll tell you one thing is, it, when you live a life knowingly of a hypocrite, you're playing games with God, and he will get your attention. And sometimes it will be harder than it needs to be uh, if that happens. And that leads us to the fourth thing, uh, and that's that the true Christian who lives a hypocritical life will be firmly disciplined by his loving heavenly father. Think of this, a child can be obedient or disobedient. Uh, it's not obedience that, makes, that made my children my children. Sometimes they would be disobedient to me. A non-child, someone that's not yours, can be obedient or disobedient. I know when one of my kids would be out of line, um, I would need to, as a father, take them aside and correct them. And, uh, and sometimes give them a punishment. And sometimes they would say, well, look at my friend. They do the exact same thing as me. And I, I say, well, you know what? I would love to correct your friend too, but they're not my child. You are my child, so I'm going to correct you. And so you have this on your outline. The proof of sonship is not discipline. I'm sorry, is discipline, not obedience. And so although there are hypocritical Christians, there are a lot of believers, and I think it's true of most of us here as I know you, who even though we're not perfect, we work at living a consistent Christian life. We want to live a Christ-honoring life in everything that we do, not just on Sundays, but in between Sundays, when we're at work and when we're at home. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. 
But that's why God is there to strengthen us as we do this. And then that leads to maybe one of the most important points, and that is number five, if you are against hypocrisy, you are in agreement with Jesus and the Bible. We've already seen what Jesus says about hypocrisy uh, in Matthew 23. There's more to it, study it on your own. But I want you to notice also that it's throughout the Bible. Um, There are a lot of Old Testament passages as well as other New Testament passages to look at. I've written a bunch of them on the outline. I would encourage you to look them up this afternoon. Read them on your own. Um, I'll just give you a couple examples. Proverbs 15.8 says, The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. We're all capable of hypocrisy. We've all probably been hypocritical in our lives. Uh, we all slip into routine, routines and patterns that are not healthy. And we neglect to give God our love and our devotion. Uh, if we want to be called God's people, if, if someone says, by the way, to you, hey, you know what, the church is full of hypocrites, then you can just say, well, you know what, come and join us. We've got room for one more. But we all slip into these patterns of uh, when we worship and we, we get into routines that where we, we're just saying the words. We're not really worshiping God from our heart. And we neglect to give God our love and our devotion. And if we want to be called, called God's people, then that's what we need to do is seek him sincerely and, and honestly and to strive to be obedient in our lives. Another passage in the Old Testament is from the prophet Hosea. Uh, who says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. What's he saying there? He's saying he hates hypocrisy. Um, In other words, don't let something that you and Jesus and the Old Testament authors and the New Testament authors are all against mess up your relationship with God. And I would say that to someone who's saying that from the outside. Um, we wouldn't quit our job because there are hypocrites at our work. We wouldn't, we wouldn't stop watching sports because there are hypocrites in sports. I, I um, saw something, somebody write this. I thought this was uh, kind of appropriate. They said, you know, there's football in the fall and basketball in the winter and baseball in the spring and summer. And this guy said, I've been an avid sports fan all my life, but I've, I've had it. I've quit sports once and for all, quit watching them, quit going, and you, you can't get me near one of those places again. Here's why. Every time I went to a game, they asked me for money. The people I sat near weren't very friendly. Uh, the seats were uncomfortable. I went to a lot of games, but the coach never called on me. I I was sitting near hypocrites and I knew because they weren't paying any attention to the game. They were just looking at everybody else and talking with each other. Um, Some of the games went into overtime and I was late getting home. Uh, The songs they played, I'd never heard some of them before. The the, the games were scheduled at times I wanted to do other things. I, I was taken to too many games by my parents when I was little. And I don't want to take my children in any games because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. I mean, that's absurd, but that's, that's the absurdity of someone who says, well, I don't want to have anything to do with church or Christians anymore because it's so full of hypocrites. 
What I find personally is that when people bring up that question, in my personal experience, it's often because they have a moral problem that they themselves don't want to deal with. They're, they're, they're living in sin. They don't want to be confronted by the sin that they're living in. That may not be true for everyone. That's true in, in my experience. Now, some people ask, so what do you, how do you defend the Crusades? How do you defend the fact that Christians burn people at the stake? How do you defend against the modern day evils like sexual abuse committed by members of the clergy? And the answer is, you don't. Those sins should be confessed. They should be repented of. They should be wept over. They should be brought as fully as possible into the light and learned from and repented from. And, and, and people should change. People should pay a penalty legally if they need to do that. But it's also true that followers of Jesus have been responsible. If you look at the history of, of hospitals, for example, the history of those comes from Christians who wanted to make a difference in the world. If you look at our educational system and the history of some of the greatest universities, they started as Christian schools. They're far from that today, but that's the way they started. And amazing expressions by Christians of compassion and, and generosity. But I, I think that one final question that matters a lot is this one. When people who claim to be followers of Jesus and don't do what they should, is it because of Jesus' teaching or is it in spite of Jesus' teaching? Because after all, what Jesus spoke against, the way he lived his life is at the root and the heart of what we're talking about. And he was against the hypocrisy. It was crystal clear in his death and resurrection what he was about. One of the things that, that he says about hypocrites is back in verse three. We didn't even read it, but look at Matthew 23, verse three. He's talking again to the religious leaders and he says, they sit in the seat of Moses, so listen to them. Do what they say when they speak about the law of God, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And Jesus perfectly practiced what he preached. And that should be the goal of all of us, to practice what we preach. And they killed Jesus for doing that. And Jesus, for, for, for Jesus, the categories break down like this. It's not us and them. No, it's, it's perfect and not perfect. And the only way for us to be perfect is when we get to heaven. Yeah, we can mature, but that's gonna only happen through Jesus here the, 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 the categories for Jesus are holy and sinful. And we strive for his holiness, but we will not attain that until we get to heaven. And so, this is on your outline, if hypocrisy has kept you from coming to Jesus, just know that Jesus hates it more than you do. He hates it so much, he drew this picture of it in Matthew 23. The Bible gives a picture of it, the prophets give a picture of it. And that's informed us for the last 2,000 plus years. The temptation here is to think that all the people around us are hypocrites. Everybody except us. And we need to look inside. We need to, each of us, not think about other people, but think about 
ourselves and our life before God. Examine our own heart. And so if you're battling the sin of hypocrisy, Jesus can free you from that masquerade. He wants to. He will. He can do that. He really can. That is great news. That's God's goal. God's goal and, and, and our goal as a church is that we come together to worship him corporately on, on Sunday mornings, but that we leave encouraged to live a life of worship in between Sundays. And that our Christianity will impact every single area of our lives. You know, one of the, one of the characteristics of, of cults is that they compartmentalize their lives. They say, here's my worship, here's my family, Here's my hobbies, here's my work. And they're not, they don't interlock, they're not together. As Christians, we draw a circle around all of that and we say we want the Lordship of Christ to impact every part of our lives. Everything we do needs to be lived under the Lordship of Christ. You know, uh, one of the um, things that I find interesting is that Jesus is hard on hypocrites but he never condemns sinners. John chapter three, uh, verse 17 says that the son did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In fact, Jesus embraces those who own up to uh, their own mistakes, their own moral failures, even their hypocrisy. And we somehow think that we need to put on a mask and act religious in order to gain God's favor. Jesus says, be real. Own up to your sin and rebellion. And if you do, I will forgive you. That's the message of the gospel. And so if you're playing spiritual charades, stop it. Right now, by the power of God in your life, You're not fooling anyone. You know, if you have kids at home, they see right through your hypocrisy and they don't like it. So you can be real with them and that's why you need to be real because they're watching you like no one else will. I heard Billy Graham say one time in an interview, he said, I live in fear that I will do something that will bring harm to the name of Jesus. I think that's a healthy fear for all of us. Would that we would all pray that, would that we would all think that, that we would do something that would bring harm to the name of Christ and that we would live our lives accordingly. It's time for all of us to come clean and walk the talk and to live what we say we believe. And if you happen to be listening to this and investigating Christianity or thinking about it and, and, and you see imperfect Christians, which you will see, I encourage you not to make a decision based on an unfinished product. But make your decision based on the person of Christ. Look at him. He can impact your life right now by forgiving your sins and he will help you to become the person God wants you to be, that you wanna be, by steadily chipping away at the rough spots in your life and changing you from the inside out. And so 
I can say this, fellow hypocrite, do you want some hope today? Do you want to change? Do you want to protect yourself from the tendency to focus only on the external and not on, what, on, not on the heart? Are you ready to be honest before God and be authentic? I only know one person who can affect that change in your life. His name is Jesus. That's who you need to look at. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we bow before him, we admit that we're sinners, know that God will forgive you, and that he will set you on your way to becoming like Jesus. And so we join the rank of forgiven sinners. We keep short accounts with God. And there's a greater temptation of hypocrisy if we don't have a way to deal with the sin in our lives. And as Christians, we have that way. It's called confession. And the promise is in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, if you don't know you're forgiven, you will spend the rest of your life trying to cover it up by being a hypocrite. And you know what Jesus thinks of hypocrites. So ask Jesus to forgive you and change you. He'll permanently cover your your sins with his blood. He'll give you eternal life and keep you from spending an eternity apart from God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that even though we all fall short of the glory of God, that we're also justified freely by your grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we all struggle with hypocrisy. We are fellow hypocrites here. But we all want to present something that's genuine, that's really us. We don't want to be about a whitewashed exterior that will just win praise, but we want to know you. We want to know the grace of God. We want to know healing. We want to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. God, thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. Thank you that you always are at work in us to renew us and transform us and make us new, to make us more into the image of your Son. And if there's anyone here, Father, who, who needs to get right with you, who, who is questioning or wondering about the Christian life and Christianity, I pray that they would surrender their lives today to you. And just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I open up my life to you and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Now make me into the person you want me to be. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please stand with me for the benediction. You know, and if somehow God has spoken to you and you would like to talk to someone uh, we've got some folks, Dan's here, and he'll be up here in the front, and we've got some, Heather's here, and they'd love to just talk to you and listen to you if you'd like to pray with them or uh, share maybe how God has spoken to you, and Bruce is here as well, so please feel free to come up and, and talk to them, and, and they'd love to listen and, and pray with you. And so uh, now I pray that, that God, the source of our hope, will fill you completely with joy 
and peace because you trust in him and then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Please don't leave without introducing yourself to someone around you. And some of you, if you're interested in the membership class, uh, come and talk to me, but it's at two o'clock this afternoon and we'll see you then. God bless you.